Welcome to Ask HDR, a podcast that connects your questions about higher degree research to the people who can answer them. Brought to you by the Peer Learning Advisor team from the University of Sydney Library. Ask HDR is part of the library and would like to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the traditional custodians of this land and pay our respects to the elders, both past and present and future. Joining us today, we have a panel of PhD supervisors, as well as myself and Corn. Um, would you mind introducing yourselves for our listeners? Okay, uh, my name is Ros Glogue, and I'm a lecturer in evolutionary biology in the School of Life and Environmental Sciences. And I'm relatively junior. I've been supervising HDR students um, for about five years now. Uh, my name is James Humberstone. I'm a senior lecturer in music education, uh, but also a composer producer at the Sydney Conservatorium of Music, which of course is part of Sydney Uni. Uh, and actually, I guess quite similar to Ros, probably five or six years um, of HDRs. Yeah. So I'll start with uh, the first question. Are we meant to be friends with our supervisors? So what's your reflections on this? Um, I really liked this question because it's a, it's a good one. And I think um, if we are going to take a, a broad definition of friends, uh, then in a way your, super, your supervisor is a kind, of, a, a kind of friend in the sense that they are going to celebrate your triumphs and they are going to be sad when your experiments fail. <laughs> um, you know, they're really along for the ride with you and they get to kind of share your research journey. Um, and at least in, in my case and in, um, in my discipline, it's, it's common that you can go to the pub after work and you might have a beer or two with your supervisor. You can talk about things with them general science things that are not specifically just your research project so of course I would say that they're a friend of sorts but of course they're not you know your best mate who you tell everything to and go out and um you know share other things with uh they're really in that kind of friend mentor space uh which is a category of friendship and and it's nice to have people in that category and it's nice for your supervisors too. keep in mind um, to mentor you. And, you know, they probably look back and think, Oh, I remember what I was like when I was starting my PhD or I was writing up my thesis or whatever. Um, so, you know, they, they have some insight into what you're going through and are there to help. I think most of the time. Ros, you did such a better job of answering that question than I thought I could prepare. Um, uh, when, the, when the questions were sent through, I just thought, oh, man, uh, you know, that's so obvious. Um, it's, this is a professional relationship, you know, it's like a workplace relationship. And, you know, obviously, as a, as a scholar myself, I'm very professional in my relationship. And, you know, you know, absolutely, you don't have to be friends with your um with your, your students, and they don't have to be friends with their supervisors. And then I w thought to myself, Hang on, I'm friends with nearly all of my, <laughs> with nearly all of my students, many of whom have stayed at my house. Done, you know, with over COVID, we've had to do all night conferences where they've stayed in the spare room, and we've got up at two o'clock in the morning to give a paper. And um, I've, I've one of my uh, master's students stayed at my fam familial house when we went up to Glasgow, so all the way back over to the UK. We gave a paper together at Glasgow, and you do end up 
you know, working so deeply and closely with these people. So I think my initial reaction was that there's no expectation of a friendship there. And so maybe that's similar to your mentor um, observation, which is that I don't think you should feel going into your relationship with your supervisor um, that it, it should result in a friendship in the way that we would think of a friendship. Um, but of course, you will expect to work closely. And, and Ros, your point about, you know, we supervisors share your successes and your victories. And we you know we're sad when that journal turns you down or sends you a very long revise and resubmit. And, you know, um, it's it's totally true. And, and I actually think and because I do a bit of research in the education field, you know, teaching is a relational thing. And, and I think that actually it's it's completely natural that you do develop some kind of friendship with all of your students. Uh, and that's absolutely, you know, fine. And in that case, you know, that's not what you would expect from your friend. They might be interested in totally different things. But you do have that shared interest in your research topic. Um, and that's, you know, that's the basis of the professional relationship. And you can go forth and have a very successful kind of collaboration and mentorship with your supervisor, uh, even if you wouldn't really categorize them as a friend. So a whole, a whole range of available, uh, available kind of mentor student um, relationships, which are all healthy and productive. I don't think there's one right way to do it. I, I don't think we could have summarised that better at all. Normally we try and do a little summary for our listeners, but Roz, that was perfect. I think, yeah, I can't add to that. It's amazing to hear all this and so reassuring as a PhD student to be like, oh my God, my experience is normal. Um, and hopefully our listeners get the exact same thing. So um, our next submitted question from our students is, how do I manage my supervisor's expectations? So if you could give us a bit of advice on this and kind of let us know how you set this with your students. So one of the things that I don't know whether HDR um, candidates or, or PhD candidates are aware is that, but we supervisors actually do supervision training too. Um, before we are allowed to start supervising you. And one of the things that we're taught in that training is to really be quite upfront about how we want to manage communication. So the first thing I want to say is that hopefully when you are establishing your relationship with your supervisor, your supervisor will tell you, you know, some supervisors don't only want you to email them on a Thursday between 9 and 12 or they don't want to hear from you between their meetings or they only want you know they don't want to meet with you as often they want to see drafts of work like they've got very specific ideas I'm not that kind of supervisor um, but I do have very very specific ways that I like my students to contact me so the first thing is I always say to all of my students is I get more email than I can read in a week Okay, I have 15 billion undergraduate students, but my relationship with you is super special because you're HDR. So what we do is that we we establish different uh, levels, or I ask them for different levels of contact. So they they can send an email, but I actually want them to tell. We use Microsoft Teams, so we collaborate on uh, documents that they're working on in there. I get them to tag me on that. If they tag me up in Microsoft Teams, that will make a little blip go on my phone, and I also tell them. I don't feel I'm fine with you sending me a text message if something is urgent or calling me. And, you know, please actually come to me and get my attention. You have special priority. So I'm very, very upfront about that. And I really appreciated that in my training because um, 
you know, as a sort of introspective Englishman, I might not have thought to be so proactive about communication in the relationship. So I'm, I really like that. So I think that's the first thing is hopefully your supervisor will tell you how they um, want you to demand their attention. However, if they don't, there is definitely a role for the student in that. So you can definitely just sim ask simple questions. You know, do you prefer email or do you prefer, you know, is there another system that you want to use? Where do you want me to keep my work? You know, some some supervisors uh, are Google Docs people rather than Microsoft Word people. And you can, you know, share what stuff that you're working on. So go and find out what they like. Um, and, you know, even ask questions like, if I've emailed you and I really need your attention, but you're obviously really busy, I, I feel terrible and I don't want to bother you, but I, I, I'm stuck. I can't do any more work until I hear back from you. What should I do? Ask those kind of questions if your supervisor hasn't volunteered that kind of information. And then finally, the thing that I want to say is in terms of um, managing supervisors' um, expectations is um, you can actually control those expectations by being on top of your workload. So if I say to you, you know, we'll have a meeting every fortnight, but I want you to send me a piece of writing. Um, I've had students who come to that meeting after sending me the piece of writing and getting my feedback who arrive at that meeting with an agenda. And they say, okay, here are five things. And they go through the things that they really need help on or that they didn't understand in my advice or that they want to talk about or that doesn't make sense to them from the literature. And they drive the meeting, not me. And that often happens with mature HDR students, as in people who have maybe had a bit of a career and then come back to research later in life, because they've got a bit of that age and confidence. But honestly, as a supervisor, that's fantastic. <laughs> I love it because I don't have to sort of sit there and think, you know, oh, how do I get to the bottom of this? The student's coming to me with questions. So, you know, by all means, um, uh, yeah, just be really, really clear how, to, how your supervisor wants you to talk. Uh, talk to them to what they what they want, what their expectations are, and then um, you know feel free to take it by the scruff of its neck. I would completely agree with James there. I mean, I think the if you are just starting out uh, in your as an HDR student, then have that conversation with your supervisor straight up. You know about the ways that they would like to communicate and how often you are going to meet and those sort of things. But as James said, you know, it's a, it's a two way street. So, you know, your supervisor might have their way of doing things, but you, you have some say in it as well. So you can say, you know, um, I, I'd like to meet every second week, not every week, if that's okay or whatever, you know, um, and probably your supervisor can accommodate uh, some of your preferences and another thing to do, I mean, ideally you do this even before you um, come into a, a lab as a PH, as a HDR student, um, if you're in the sciences, a lab or whatever you're going into, but talk to other students who have been in the lab or um, are currently in the lab about how they are communicating with um, with the supervisor and get tips from there. Don't feel like you're starting from scratch. You, may, you know, there are other students probably who are a couple of years ahead of you uh, and each of you should be learning from the ones that went before. You know, one of them might say, oh, look, you know, I tried to do this. It didn't work. They're too busy to do that. Don't bother. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess learn learn from the other students in the lab and and, and that can be productive as well. And I guess the last thing I wanted to add... Um, would be that, and James kind of touched on this, but you really could 
flip this question almost um, and throw it back to supervisors. How do I manage my students' expectations? Uh, because, and this is coming to James's 12 billion emails, but, um, you know, I think it's, as a student, you might think, well, I've sent my supervisor a, a rough draft of this paper um, and I'm sure they'll get it back to me in the next few days. And the supervisor is thinking, great, that student sent me something. It's number 45 on my list of things to do. Uh, and I, I really hope I'll be able to get to it by the end of next month. Um, so, you know, just have those conversations, I think is fine. I always tell my students, I say, look, um, you know, the next three weeks, I'm absolutely like flat out teaching. Don't, don't send me anything. I really won't be able to read it, but let's still have our weekly meetings and all the rest and just get them, get, get a little bit in sync with, if you really need something done uh the reality is you will have to accept that your supervisor has only got so many hours that they are awake per day um and that they might have other obligations like undergraduate teaching and all the rest so yeah i think openness of communication again that the main thing um and and yeah i guess uh getting getting clear what those expectations are for both of you student and supervisor yeah i think uh trying to be explicit and open about the communication is quite important and trying to um keep your supervisor and you on the same track of your um uh schedule or your progress is also kind of important in that sense that you both understand each other each other's expectations and um preferences no, I think that was just, it was such a nice refreshing moment for me because I was like, I'm pretty far into my PhD, like Kun and I both are, but it's it's nice to just be reminded that we can also set the boundaries. We can also set those times, like be like, no, once weekly isn't isn't working for me at the moment. And especially like if you have other responsibilities outside of your PhD as a mature PhD student or You've, you're only doing it part-time, weekly might not be something that's going to create progress rapidly for you. And just having that reminder that, oh, you can say, no, sorry, every week isn't helping me with stress, pressure, responsibilities. Perhaps we could do once every two weeks. That reminder is just, oh, felt great to hear that from supervisors, just knowing that it's okay if it's not working for you as well as the student, you should probably say something because that's the only way your supervisor is going to Absolutely. know it's not working. And you touched on another really good point there, which is that uh, it's going to change throughout your candidature. I mean, three years, four years, however mm -hmm. uh, long you will be as an HDR. And like you said, if you're doing it part-time, it's going to be even longer. And of course, it's going to change. In the first year, um, you might have a bit more free reign and your supervisor might be happy for you to be exploring a bunch of different options and things. And um, your meetings might be quite flexible or, or have a particular format. And that's probably going to be very different to that last six months when you are really building towards submitting the thesis. So it's going to change and that's fine. And it, again, it's just communicating when you need it to change. Um, and how yeah i think um i think a really good point actually that i only just thought of just listening to you both speak then is that also every faculty is really different on this 
And I know this because I've looked at all of the different workloads documents. And in the sciences, it kind of looks a little bit mean because in a lot of the sciences, um, academics aren't given any workload for their time with HDR students. But that's because of the assumption that their HDR students fit into their own research agendas and maybe they'll co-publish or maybe that person will become an assistant in their in their lab. Um, so whereas in in the arts and humanities, we're given workload because our work is very much extra to it, but um, it also it also changes a lot. So I get, I'll give you the actual stats, I get 12 hours per semester, but that's actually now per six months because we are supposed to work with HDR students over a six month period, you know, the research periods rather than just in semester. So when you cut that down to reading time, admin time, meeting time, it's pretty little. And there are some faculties where they've got in their workload 50 hours for a PhD student um, over, a, over a semester, which is a really big, generous loading. So, you know, that, that academic's got lots and lots of time to give you and to spend reading your stuff and helping you with your work. Um, so I think um, there's a side of this as well, which is about how can I be demanding and take control, like you were just saying, but also be respectful of my supervisor's time and, you know, finding out how they're managing their workload. Like Ross said, I just have to teach like crazy for the next two weeks or, oh my God, I've got 500 papers to mark by Friday when all of the marking has to be in at the end of semester. Sometimes you just have to say, sorry, I'm not available. And now James has made me think of another good point, which actually is, um, and then we can wrap it up, sorry, for this question. <laughs> but, and maybe this is a, um, maybe this is specific to the faculty uh, of science or the sciences, uh, but this idea of supervisor expectations in relation to funding is one that I would recommend students have at the start or near the start of their um, their degrees because what is common in the sciences um, is that a supervisor will have a grant funded and it needs some boxes ticked and usually the scope of the boxes is quite broad but there'll be things that that they proposed in a, in a grant that they would get done. And, you know, we've been given often money from, you know, Australian taxpayers to get certain things done. And students are often involved in those projects. So it is a good idea to ask your supervisor in case you're not clear. And I think it's totally normal that students are not um, necessarily super familiar with the whole... Um, you know, financial aspect of uh, science funding, but have that conversation, you know, is my work part of a grant? Does it have deadlines? Uh, because that might be something that's driving your supervisor's expectations when they say, I need this, you know, we need to finish this experiment. There might be something behind that, which is that, uh, you know, they, they have requirements to get work done on a grant. But again, a good a good supervisor will be honest mm. up front with that. It really shouldn't be on the student, but um, just to double check, you know, bring it up. Yeah. So we got our next question as, what do I do if two supervisors suggest opposite directions or having conflicting viewpoints? So uh, our guest, what's your So this can this? definitely happen. I know it's very uh, common in my discipline biology that an HDR student would have two or more supervisors. And maybe you're sending around um, an idea for an experiment or it might be uh, data that you've already collected and you're, you're trying to figure out the, 
the key points for your discussion and you send it first to one supervisor and then to the next and they tell you different things. But at that point, I guess I would recommend just get your whole supervisory team together and talk it out uh, because it's almost always the case that if you have multiple supervisors that they know each other and they might have collaborated before or they ideally are capable of collaborating with each other. Um, so, yeah, I think the you know see see your work as a as a team project which you are leading um and your two supervisors are collaborating on and they're helping you that mentor relationship again and guiding you in things um but you can bring them together and get everybody to talk it out until there's a a resolution and i i suspect it would be very rare that you you can't resolve things if you're all talking it out together and this will be a very short question compared to the last one where we kept adding things because I, basically that's exactly what I, I think. The one additional tip that I will give is uh, follow Ross's advice very, very closely about getting everyone together. Don't send an email to everyone forwarding their contradictory emails to you or anything like that. That is poison. <laughs> Don't do that. So I've had a few experiences of that kind of thing, and it just that's a real problem. So actually, and nowadays it's all Zoom, right? But hopefully we can be back in the room soon. Just try and get your supervisors in a room together. Try and do it urgently, but use a Zoom or a or some similar thing if necessary. But do it face to face and talk it out. Don't start big group emails because it can go sour. Yeah, excellent advice there. One hundred percent. Those, those emails can be the death of you as a student when you're like, oh, but so-and-so said this. Um, definitely from my experience, Zoom is the best way to do that. Um, get all your supervisors into the Thunderdome and say, so what's next? Because at the moment I have this option and this option. And then by the end of it, you normally walk out with a third option that none of you had thought of. Um, and it, in my experience, that is the best way to deal with that conflict is going, hey, I'm just a little HDR student and I I want to impress both of you. But if I try and do both of these options, I'm going to undo my own thesis. <laughs> Help. <laughs> um, that's definitely great advice there. Yeah, I totally agree with this. Um, and if I may add another comment is that like, if sometimes during the early stage of our uh, study, uh, when we are trying to decide on a research topic or direction, sometimes our supervisors gave us different di- uh, directions or suggestions. And it's quite, it's actually quite common because they are all different people having different expertise and different viewpoints. And sometimes we just, so- sometimes for us, uh, we need to take the driving wheel and make decisions because as they are like here to advise and help us and giving their best of knowledge and and advice but still uh, in the end it's our own research project sometimes it's that's good to be that's proactive. absolutely spot on yeah often in these cases it's not that one supervisor is right and the other one is wrong i mean they're just giving you two options yeah. which like you said are going to be heavily biased by their own interests um and it's at the end of the day it's it's your research and and you can um you can make those decisions 
usually within, again, these caveats about um, whether your supervisor has particular expectations for you to do something because that's what, that's where the money is coming from. So those are things to keep in the back of your mind if you're working in the sciences anyway. Uh, but yeah, many of these kind of conflicts, they're, they're just two equally interesting avenues you could pursue and you can't do everything in your PhD. So um, you, you pick the one that interests you the most. Okay, so our next submitted question is, how do you set the stage for a good working relationship? Um, obviously, we've covered a little bit of this already, but we would love to hear your thoughts on this. Is it my turn to go first? Okay, yeah, I don't know that I have uh, a lot to add past some of the things we've already chatted about. So this idea of, yeah, we're setting the stage here, I guess. So we're talking about kind of early um, uh, journey as an HDR student, and it would be these points we've covered about kind of getting getting a good idea of the expectations of how often you're going to meet and what you're going to be doing and, you know, how you're going to communicate, which are topics we already covered. And I guess I would say another thing that kind of makes for a good working relationship is I would encourage students to kind of have conversations with their, with their supervisor generally about the kind of science that interests them. So don't always go into your meetings and just, well, I'm talking about science here again, sorry, specifically, but uh, I'm sure actually this probably applies to other things. You know, get try to aim to be in a position where your kind of supervisor understands broadly your interests and your interests are going to evolve as your PhD or master's or whatever um, progresses. But if you are in a spot where you can have those kind of general conversations, you know, oh, I read this great paper or I saw this great conference talk about something, you know, be able to have those conversations that are not just specifically about the exact research you're doing. Uh, and that means your supervisor is in a much better position to kind of put you in contact with people they know. Oh, oh, oh she's interested in this. Uh, did you know this other person who works, um, you know, elsewhere in the faculty or something that could you could collaborate with on those ideas and so on? So, you know, kind of see them broadly as somebody who you talk to about science, if you're in the in the faculty of science or whatever your discipline is, uh, and give them the opportunity, I guess, to, to help you find new connections, uh, new research ideas and things like that. Yeah, nice. Um, I, I mean, I, I similarly, I think we, you know, talking about setting up expectations earlier on and whether we're meant to be friends, I think that really sets the stage for, for this discussion. But it is a little bit different, I think, in this question, the idea of a working relationship, um, because that works, to me, it works on two fronts. It means working as in uh, working together as in a student role and a, an HDR role, your eventual goal is to, you know, write that thesis and become published and whatever. And the supervisor's role is for you to successfully do that and to have you complete. Um, and, um, but also uh, in the working, the, the actual learning how to work as a scholar. 
So with the first thing, I just wanted to add a, a couple of fun things onto onto the what we were talking about setting up expectations and things like that before. I have very specific pan um, pans with my HDR. So some of them literally just come to my office at the con. We you know semi regular or regular meetings. Sometimes they substitute the meeting by sending me a piece of writing instead. Very standard in institution. I have another PhD student who I run around Narrabeen Lagoon with twice a week. Um, that's a, you know, uh, very slowly so that we can talk at the same time. Uh, and actually I've, I've probably gone jogging with, with four or five of my students and that's a great, just getting outside and walking and, you know, that's, I've, I've some who like to meet up for breakfast cause they're early thinkers and I am too. So that's not, again, it's not saying you have to be a, a friend, friend, but actually you can learn, you can find ways of working sometimes the formal ways will suit you going to the office at the same hour every week to have the meeting to show the things you've done but sometimes you know you might have things which are a little bit different and get you into a different space and allow you to do those things that Ros was just talking about where you talk about broader interests that are relevant to the field and and you know maybe a little gossip about what's going on in your school at the moment or something um the other side that i thought was really interesting to think about in terms of this question um working as working as a scholar because that's you know the phd especially is a ticket to to do that as a living hopefully cross fingers if a job comes up um and really your relationship with your supervisor can be a fantastic experience for getting to do that so the the sort of model way that i try to do it with my students is to look for ways to either give conference presentations together or to publish um, papers or book chapters together. And I've just, I've already done two this year, one with a master's student and one with a PhD student. With the PhD student, I was able to um, look at some of the data that they were doing and say, I think you could submit a chapter to this um, edited book that's coming out. Um, um, But if you don't feel confident enough, because at this point he hadn't ever published before, I said, I'm happy to come on as your second author. And I'll be basically the bossy person who smashes it into shape. Uh, I'll get a, a credit for doing that. And then with a with a, another student, I was able to say, um, I think, uh, you know, we've done this particular thing. We've got this data that we've worked on together. And maybe I'd like to first author, but I'd really like a second perspective on this. It fits with the particular methodology that I was thinking of. And so there we've got two very clearly different um, different relationships one where I'm giving the student the um, the the responsibility of being first first author. Yes, I'm t- reminding them, you know, what they're getting from the editor once that was accepted for the book, and um, you know, cracking the whip a little bit to make sure that my name is on something which is really high quality when it gets to uh, when it's published. Uh, but also with the student who's the second author, I'm essentially modelling for them what they're going to do in their future career hopefully so you know as second author i'll set them little jobs to do and i'll say i need you to proofread this i need you to go away and write two paragraphs on that this bit of our literature review is particularly weak do you mind going and doing the reading and synthesizing some of this stuff that i found you know and being quite you know um yeah setting very specific jobs and i feel like and there's probably a thousand different roles and different ways that you can do that depending on what your role is in the authorship of um uh, scholarly work or how your particular discipline works because obviously disciplines and authorship is very very different um in in all the different fields so i just feel yeah in terms of working relationship and not every student will get an opportunity to publish with a supervisor but if you do that can be a really really fantastic um 
work, uh, work way of learning how to work as a scholar and how to manage those working processes. And when you are, you know, 14th author on a paper, as somebody who was sort of sitting in the lab and just gets to proofread the final report or something, even then use that process of watching the piece, the, the, the paper come together as a process of thinking, well, I might be this role next time or I might be this role next time. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's that's one of the best things that we get to do with our HDRs. That's a brilliant answer. I learned a lot from this answer. Um, this question reminds me of a workshop that I just went uh, like two, two weeks ago, and I think it's called Seven Secrets to Highly Successful uh, Research Students, and it's run by the Korea uh, Center. Uh, anyway, they mentioned that like for a learning process or like researching process, there are two uh, general types of person. One is more activist, and they tend to try different things out and do stuff before thinking too much. And another is more like reflectors, and they have a lot of ideas and they rehearse the idea over time. And it's just like different way of working. And their point is that depending on which uh, kind of type of person your supervisor and you are, you may take different strategies. And yeah, it's worth of checking that out. No, I think that's all been summed up really nice. Okay, so thank you so much, James and Roz, for joining us today for this episode of Ask HDR. Before you leave us, uh, would you mind giving us one final bit of advice about communicating our struggles with supervisors? I guess Roz. just don't be shy to do it. Your supervisor, uh, I guarantee, has been in the position before where they've struggled with their research or they think, oh, my God, I hate this experiment. It's going nowhere. I'm never going to finish it. Whatever, they've been there, they know. So has everyone else working um, in your discipline. So just remember it's normal that you are, you know, struggling with the entire kind of creative process that is um, producing, you know, uh, HDR research. So that's the main thing. And I guess around communicating, yeah, bring it, bring it up however it suits you and just don't be shy about it. Uh, I will just simply plus one that and uh, um, and just add on top that sometimes, even though you know that and you know you should communicate, you just feel like I I'm letting them down if I tell them that I'm struggling. They've already ex told me what to do and I just can't do it. The university has fantastic systems like counseling, disability support, things like that. Please take avail yourself of those systems. There's a high rate of people at some point over three or four years of a PhD have a six month period where they just feel low or they just feel it's going badly and they just need some help. The university's got great systems. So do communicate with your supervisor, but also avail yourself of those Excellent services. advice. Yep. Yes. Thank you so much. Perfect advice there to end on. Thank you for listening to a whole episode of Ask HDR. We hope you enjoyed it and more importantly, found it useful for your HDR journey. If you have any questions, ideas, or comments, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch with us at askhdr.pla at sydney.edu.au. That is askhdr.pla at sydney.edu.au. Looking forward to hearing from you. Until next time.